Powered by Righteous Media. Welcome to Independent Americans. Welcome to episode 173. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. It just keeps happening. And now, more than ever, every single day is a time to stay vigilant. Ellie was a beautiful little girl. She was filled with so much joy, so much life, so much. She had a good heart. She was never angry at anyone. She loved everyone. She was just such a good kid. What did she like to do? She loved basketball. She loved to ride bikes. She loved to, she loved going to church with us. She, she loved the Lord. Um, she loved school, dancing, TikToks. Hey guys. Um, what a nine-year-old kid would like to do. She's about to have her birthday. Birthday's next Saturday on the 4th, yes. She would have been 10. Well, she still will be 10. That's so tough. It's very hard. I imagine that weekend will be a tough weekend for the family because her birthday's on the 4th, and two days later on the 6th, we will bury her. This weekend, nine-year-old Ellie Garcia will be buried in Texas. That's Adrian Alonzo, her uncle, on CNN with Dana Bash. Ellie Garcia was one of 19 children murdered in Texas, along with two heroic teachers. They'll be buried in little customized caskets, children-sized caskets. There's themes for each one, ranging from softball to TikTok to Spider-Man to Superman. That's how the caskets are painted to honor nine- and ten-year-olds that were murdered in their classroom. If your kid was murdered at school, what kind of casket would you have made for him or her? I've been asking myself that over and over again for the last few days. My little boys are six and three. And every day, I drop them off at school, and I worry. Just like millions of other parents all across America. This is our new normal. Tragedy is our new normal. And this morning, right after I dropped off my boys, did a loop around the school to check for suspicious characters and drove off, I got a text from my wife sharing an email that we got from the school district just 10 minutes away from our school, from the elementary school that my son went to last year for kindergarten. And the title of it was, School lockdown information. And I'm going to read it to you. Good afternoon, families. This morning, our elementary school went into a hold in place followed by a lockdown. Staff noticed a suspicious individual. Working in collaboration with our SRO and law enforcement, we followed our protocols to ensure the safety of students and staff. After our SRO and law enforcement determined that there was no threat, Normal operations resumed in the school. We thank you for your support. 
and are grateful to partner with you in providing a safe learning environment for our students. Sincerely, the superintendent. That's an email we got this morning. Think about what that day was like for the kindergartners in that school and the teachers and the staff and the parents. And think about them next time you hear a politician talk about their own need to own an assault rifle or their own personal freedom or the NRA. Think about those people and think about the little caskets in Texas because I can't stop thinking about them. If you're not angry, you're not paying attention. That used to be the motto of this show when it was called Angry Americans. And this is definitely a time to channel that spirit again. But it was never enough just to be angry. We had to turn that anger into positive impact. And we have to again, now, somehow, find a way to do it again. Because as I was getting ready to record this part of the show tonight, three new shootings were unfolding simultaneously across America. One at a hospital in Tulsa, Oklahoma, another at a Walmart in Pittston, Pennsylvania, and another at a high school in Los Angeles, California, all at the same time, all in the same day. Walmarts, churches, supermarkets, schools, hospitals. Nowhere in America is safe. Nowhere. Easy is definitely over. These are very, very hard times. And they can get harder. Two episodes ago, I asked you to consider how much worse it could get. That was after Buffalo which seems like ancient history now. We don't even have time to mourn Buffalo because Uvalde happened, and we barely have time to mourn that because now Tulsa's happened, and we won't have time to mourn Tulsa because something else will happen. I asked you to think about an escalation of all the partisanship and fury in this country, moving off cable news and Twitter and into the streets, superpowered by access to assault weapons. I asked you to think about a buffalo happening every month, every week, every day. Now, it's already happening every day. Tonight alone, three shootings in three different cities in one day. And over Memorial Day weekend, at least 14 mass shootings happened in which four or more victims were shot or killed all across the country over the long weekend. 14 shootings in one long weekend. That was just a few days ago, before we had today's hat trick of massacres. Today is another good day for Vladimir Putin. Yeah, he may be losing in Ukraine, but his agenda continues to win in America as we continue to have Americans slaughtered by Americans. Putin is celebrating, and our enemies are celebrating. Americans are killing each other much more effectively than ISIS or bin Laden ever did. And that doesn't even include suicide. We're losing teachers. We're losing doctors. We're losing preachers. We're losing kids. And we're losing our troops. Suicide has been the main killer of U.S. military personnel since the September 11th attacks. 
More than 30,000 of them have died by their own hands during a period that saw about 7,000 members die in combat or training exercises. So we're losing 30,000 to suicide and only 7,000 to combat and training exercises. Suicide in the military community is now at its highest rate since 1938. That's according to the Department of Defense report released just last month. Putin doesn't have to take out our troops. They're taking themselves out daily. And American civilians are taking each other out daily, too, from Los Angeles to Tulsa to Baltimore. So in 2022, an angry, usually white man with a high-powered rifle is the single biggest terrorist threat facing America and our greatest national security threat. This is our nightmare normal now. Ukraine is sending America condolences. And don't get it twisted. It's a threat that's unique to America. And our stakes have never, ever, ever been higher. Because we never really got serious about stopping it. Other countries have gotten serious, and other countries continue to do so. Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau said Monday that his government was introducing new legislation to implement a national freeze on handgun ownership and to prevent people from buying and selling handguns anywhere in the country. All handguns nationwide. That is what getting serious looks like. That is what not fueling our enemies looks like. Now, we're not going to freeze handguns in America anytime soon. But there is action we can take now to stop the slaughter. There is action we can take to face the number one national security threat in America. The number one threat to our children. And in this show, we're going to get into it. With a man who knows the issue inside and out from the most tragic personal experience possible. He lost his own child to a school shooting in 2018, and he's been fighting ever since. For the daughter he lost, for his son that survived, for my kids, for your kids, for our entire country. When I say look for the helpers, there are few that are finer than this guy. He's a true hero a voice of reason, a conscience for America, and a father. Not just to two amazing kids from Florida, but for all of us. After joining us twice before for two of the most powerful and popular episodes we've ever had, he's back. He's our friend, Fred Gutenberg. This brutal, senseless war against our children touched Fred personally back in 2018. He suffered the unimaginable loss when his 14-year-old daughter, Jamie, was murdered at Parkland, Florida's Stoneman Douglas High School. And his 17-year-old son, Jesse, made it out. Despite his immeasurable pain, Fred emerged the very next day and spoke at a vigil addressing his community. 
It was carried nationally and the entire country was riveted by what he said. And we've been riveted ever since. And he has not stopped ever since. He wrote a book called Find the Helpers. He's testified before Congress. He's pounded on doors in Washington. And he's screamed from his heart on national TV for years now. Fred joined us back in episode 99 and also in episode 74. And he's here again. It's an urgent and timely conversation that we all need to hear. I started the last episode of this show with a clip from Fred. And now he's back to go deep with us and expand on that clip and that emotion. I'll ask him, is Uvalde different? Is Uvalde the end of the good guy with a gun myth? Should we see graphic photos of the dead, like his daughter? Former Department of Homeland Security Secretary Jay Johnson said recently that America needs an Emmett Till moment, that we need to see the photos, the images of slaughtered innocent children in Texas and in other massacres, like we needed to see the body of Emmett Till. Because it's the only way to wake America up to the truth of what's really happening. But what does Fred think? He's going to tell us, and he's also going to share a story he's never shared publicly before. I'll also ask him, should we raise the age that someone can buy a gun to higher than 18? What can Biden do right now on gun violence? What about the pain of those who survive a school shooting? And I ask him, will he run for office in Florida? How many more times? How many more times? That's what Fred Gutenberg has been asking. Fred is angry. And his anger is our anger. We should all be angry. Because if you're not angry, you are not paying attention. It's war out there. Not just in Ukraine. Not just in Afghanistan, but every day here in America. And now more than ever, this continues to be a time for urgent, real change. Now more than ever, this is a time for independent Americans to step up. We are in a very unique position on this issue, especially to bridge the gaps, to find a path forward and to get some shit done. But it's going to require not just anger, but action. And I want to send a special thank you to our independent American Patreon members. You continue to power this show. You continue to act and be a part of the solution. You're helping me bring conversations like this one with Fred to the public. You are our sponsors and you fuel this work. And if you're not already a member, please stand with us and join us. More information at Patreon or at independentamericans.us. This is a time for action. We're now learning that in Uvalde, Texas, over a dozen cops were outside the door while the shooter was slaughtering kids. They were frozen by fear, by bureaucracy, by corruption, by confusion, by whatever. But when the moment came, they were frozen. This is the same kind of political and social moment for us all now. This issue is inside the room, slaughtering our kids, and we can't be frozen. 
We can't be paralyzed. We must rush into that room. We must act. We must try. Because the alternative is the end of us all. It's war out there in our streets, in our houses of worship, in our stores, in our hospital. The war is coming to all of us now. And it's not like COVID. It's not sparing the kids. It's not ending with the kids. It's starting with the kids. The war is here. And this is not a time to stand on the sidelines or to remain neutral. This is a time to run to the sound of the guns. This is a time to run in when others are running out. This is a time to act. Welcome to Independent Americans, episode 173. Independent Americans around the country, around the world. We used to say this all the time, and I'm bringing it back. If you're not angry, you're not paying attention. I even brought back my Angry Americans t-shirt because this is a time to be outraged. This is a time to be focused. This is a time to be involved. This is a time to learn. Um, And this is a time we needed to bring back one of our most important and inspiring guests. Uh, He's joined us twice before. He's a conscience. He's a personal hero. And I think he's a, a, a beating heart uh, for America in these trying, important, tumultuous times. I'm honored to have back on the program the great and powerful Fred Gutenberg returns to Independent Americans. Welcome back, my friend. My, my friend, thank you for the intro. Uh, I, uh, I, 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 uh, I'm not a hero. I'm a dad. Um, I would have been a hero if I were doing this before it was my daughter, but I wasn't. Um, so. But I will never stop because, my friend, you have kids, and many others do, and they deserve to grow up better than um, what we have going on right now. There's a lot I want to get into, Fred. Um, But I actually, building off of that, you're a good dad. Uh, And I think a a hard conversation to have around times like this is not everybody is a good dad or a good mom. Yeah. Not a lot of people put the time in. Not a lot of people have the connection or the perspective. Not a lot of people really put kids first. Um, you know, many do, but many, but many don't, right? And and I think in times like this, you can tell who the good dads are and who the shitty ones are. Yeah. Um, and, and I think it's an important time to recognize that and call it for what it is. And, you know, you were on the show, episode 99, episode 74. It's been like, 74 episodes or so. And I tweeted last week, why do we keep putting Fred through this? (laughs) Why do we have to keep calling on him and asking him to do this? There's a lot I want to unpack, but let me just ask you, you know, Fred, a question I ask everyone, you've been doing media nonstop for, you know, over a week. Uh, This is really personal for you. Where are you? Uh, Where in the country are you? And how are you? Well, home in Florida. Uh, Today, 
for the first day, I think I'm better than I was. I was in a really bad place last week after the shooting and it lasted for a bit. Uh, I became emotionally, physically, and mentally drained. Um, I think anyone who saw me doing interviews last week probably saw me unable to hold my emotion in check um, because it happened again. You know, it happened again. And it's, it would be, listen, we're never going to stop gun violence in America. Let's be honest. You know, with 400 million weapons on the streets of America, we're never going to stop it. But the fact that we can't do even the bare minimum to try to prevent maybe one shooting, to prevent maybe one death is so upsetting to me. And last week, I just had a hard time with that reality. Um, but I, I'm in a better place today. I am crystal clear today on where we are at. I am crystal clear today on what we need to do. And I am crystal clear today that my life's mission is still only in the early stages because your little kids I want them to go to school and for you not to have this be the biggest worry you have. Hmm. So um, I appreciate your clarity because there's an old saying, clarity dissolves resistance. And there's a lot of resistance we got to cut through right now. But, you know, the no shit is um, I drive my kids to school this year because my little one is too young to take the bus and my kids are going to school together. And every day I drop them off, I, as a former infantry guy, you know, as a professional in security, I look around the campus and I see all the holes and I see all the vulnerabilities. Yeah. And I've even shared recommendations with the school. And uh, I did that this morning again. I shared with, with, with the leadership, here's some recommendations I hope you'll consider implementing. Uh, and then right before we got ready to tape this, my wife sent me a note that said, right after you sent the note, we got this. The elementary school, 11 minutes from my house that my son went to last year, had a lockdown today. They had a, a suspicious person in the hallway. You know, they went to a shelter in place, then they went to full lockdown. Um, and, you know, this is, this is what we're, we're, we're sending them into. And I, I don't, if you don't have kids in this environment, I don't know if you can fully appreciate it. I've said before, there's a couple of things you, you can only understand if you go through. Parenting, combat, the pandemic, right? And this is kind of like all those things together to look at my three-year-old and, and try to explain to him, you know what, your school may not be doing a good job on what to do in a tactical situation. I'm going to train you. Yeah. Um, is, 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 is our new normal, right? Tragedy is our, is our new normal. Oh, the most heartbreaking thing last, uh, there were several heartbreaking things, but hearing this one student talk about the training that they received in kindergarten and first grade that helped them to play dead, to protect themselves. I mean, kids putting blood on themselves to look like they were dead, to protect themselves. And that's what we're needing to worry about in America today. Schools as war zones. I, it's so fucked up, it, it, you know, and it doesn't need to be that way. Can I, can I ask you, um, you know, Uvalde is still unfolding. It is. Um, there's a component. I think the, the, the good guy with a gun myth may that may be one of the takeaways here is that maybe it's being exposed more now and, and in Buffalo than in recent times. Every massacre and shooting is different. 
This one is still unfolding. And, and one of the things I've tried to highlight as a former infantryman, as a former military police soldier, is that people assume everybody shoots well, right? And and we may find out that, that the cops may have hit one of the kids. We don't know if that's the case. There, there are but, suggestions of that right? possibility. But in most police police shootouts, a lot of people get caught in the crossfire. You know, everybody's not Jason Bourne when their blood pressure is racing and you're being shot at in a guy in, in arm. So the, the, this, this fetishizing of the tactical competence of the average guy with the gun or even an average cop, I think is, is lunacy, but not grounded in truth. That's one of the takeaways for me from Uvalde. But can I ask you, how is, how is this one different in, in your eyes? How is you know, Uvalde different? Is it I'm going gonna, gonna to start with actually what you said about the good guy with the gun. Because we need clarity on that whole sentence. The first time it was ever, ever uttered by Wayne LaPierre, the good, the only thing that stops a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. The very first time anyone ever heard that sentence was four days after Sandy Hook. That was the NRA response to Sandy Hook. Nobody ever used that line before. It was the NRA response to Sandy Hook. So the only thing that line ever actually accomplished was to sell a lot of guns. And so it's really important that we know that because the good guy with a gun lie put us in a place where we now have to deal with the reality that law enforcement is outgunned. We now have to deal with the reality that while it started after Sandy Hook, the previous most deadly instance of elementary school kids, it's now bookended with Uvalde. Let's let's like have clarity on that. And so we the, for me last week really served as maybe the bookend on the NRA bullshit. Mm-hmm. And it is time for us to stop listening to those who do not care about our public safety, in fact, profit off of it and have for a lot of years. Because along with the good guy with a gun, what was the other lie that started at the same time? Slippery slope. If we do anything to reduce gun violence, we're going to go on a slippery slope. We've been on a slippery slope. It started with the utterance of that line after Sandy Hook. It has led us to the level of weapons we have on the streets today, to the number of people who die every day because of it. When my daughter was killed in 2018, we had 300 million weapons on the streets of America. We now have 400 million. That's a slippery slope. Mm. I want to stay focused on that because I have considered this a national security threat. It is. And and I think that it's time to stop talking about it in, in other terms. Because we're losing more kids to gun violence than we are soldiers to combat, right? This is, is this is a national security. If ISIS was killing this many kids, we'd have total you know uh, unity in Congress. We'd be implementing the War Powers Act. We'd be changing everything we do to respond to a national security threat. Yet in this case, we don't. I I've, I even tweeted that I think Biden should consider. He's got an AUMF, the Authorized Use of Military Force, to kind of have a blank check on all things having to do with the war on terror. Maybe there's a loophole in there he can use, 
right, to recognize this as a national security threat. But in, in, in focusing in on that, you're bringing up what I think is the most important point, because I think we've, we chase shiny objects. Now it's going to be the 18 year old thing. And I want to talk about that with you, because yep, yep. Because, because I do think it's a shiny object. OK, I it don't is. think it's a bigger issue, because for me, I've said this on the show before. I wish the country would just pick one fucking age for adulthood in America. Right. Because it, 18, you can join the Marine Corps. 18, you can't drink. 18, you can buy a gun. It varies by state. But just pick one age for adulthood. And then do and in the some real- states at 18, right. you can't buy a handgun, but you can an AR-15. Right. Right. So I think this is a shiny object that's distracting people from the larger yeah. problem, because w- what you need to do is address the access training availability of weapons that have massive killing power in my view right if you if you increase the weapons in iraq by 25 percent, like we have here you'd have an increase in the insurgency period right so the access and availability of of all kinds of people to these weapons in my view is is the problem right i think we've got to get to the fact that assault weapons and and access to them is 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 a big target we can focus on do you do you agree and, well, and, well, I and, do. And, but and what do you see as maybe the big targets policy wise yeah. that should be focused on? Because we've got to address the fact that we've got more guns than anybody, more deadly guns than anybody and more availability of them than anybody. That, I think, is getting to the supply part of this of this problem. No, listen, I started this conversation with you talking about clarity because I'm done with bullshit and I have clarity and and, and clarity starts with. What you said, this is a national security threat. And, and it's not just about what's happening in schools. And no, you can't just harden schools to make it go away because kids walk on school campuses, walk off of school campuses to walk to cars. My greatest fear of what of the shooting in Parkland is that it actually would have happened outside of the perimeter when my son was walking with my daughter to the car and I could have lost both kids. Yeah. So so if this is a national security threat. You now see, you go to just places around America, whether it's January 6th or the Michigan uh, um, Capitol or a mom's demand rally where people show up with AR-15 strapped to their body as if that's normal, but it's not. And, and, and so we do, we have a national security threat. So I agree with you. We have to address the reality of access to AR-15s and other assault weapons and the amounts of ammunition being purchased. But I would take it further, okay? And here's, for me, the holy grail of saving lives from guns. We have 400 million weapons on the streets of America already. No background check on a future purchase does anything about that. Right. That's a fact. And so for me, the holy grail is ammunition. Because none of those weapons work without the bullets. In this country, if you are a prohibited purchaser of firearms, so you're one of the bad guys with a gun, maybe you stole it, maybe who knows where you got it from. If you are a prohibited purchaser of firearms, by law, you are prohibited from buying ammunition. However, there is no requirement for a background check on ammunition. So all those bad guys with a gun, they just simply walk into the store They break the law, but nobody checks and they buy the bullets. Mm -hmm. And because nobody checks and there's no requirement to check, when somebody walks in to buy over a thousand rounds, which is what the Uvalde killer had on him, nobody says, "Eh, maybe I ought to look into that a little more deeply. 
if we want to save lives in this country immediately, not stop gun violence. We're never going to be able to do that at this point, but we can reduce it. Let's do background checks on ammunition. Hey, you'd have my support on that. I think most Americans would probably support it like they do most common firearms reform. Um, You've met with President Biden in person. I have. Um, you've been a vocal supporter of him, but at the same time, you've been you know, challenging of him. Um, this is independent Americans. We know how this is going to go. Um, you know, Congress is probably going to run out the clock. They're going to go on summer break. They won't get anything done. You know, next year, we're going to have a Republican-led Congress, uh, and, and it's probably going to be worse for folks like you that, that consider this, you know, their mission and, and are focused on this agenda. Um, what can Joe Biden do right now? What can he do so, right now to make this situation as uniquely as commander in chief, right? Not just as president, but also as commander in chief, the guy who's supposed to keep us safe. What do you think he can do right now to improve the situation? Well, I, I, let me answer that, but let me push back on you just a drop. Please. Because um, here's where we are at in this country with complete clarity. The majority of Americans want this done. The House of Representatives is passing legislation to get this done. The president is ready to sign legislation to get this done. The Senate has 50 members who will vote for legislation to get this done. So with complete clarity, we know exactly where the problem lies. It's when the 50 members of the Senate who have decided they stand for nothing but no. And so I am with complete clarity seeing this as a completely political solution going forward. Um, they, they will not come to a bipartisan agreement. It's a charade. Mitch McConnell still can't say the word gun when he talks about Uvalde. So it's a charade. However, the Democrats, and I am communicating with them, they're done with the charade. They've allowed this bipartisan talk to go on every time in the past. This time, it's got one week to produce or not. And if not, they're putting this stuff up for a vote. And I think this is a must. Whether you know it's going to fail, I get it. But can we hold it there, Fred? Because this is where we always end up, right? The Senate will bring it forward. So there's a political solution that that's long term, right? We could argue November. You know, and I don't. And and I have Mitch McConnell. Like let's let's vote out Mitch McConnell. That ain't going to happen. Maybe try to vote out Mansion and Cinema and other people that are on the bubble, right? That I think is is a viable. Not vote them out. Make them irrelevant. Okay. By voting in a few more Democrats. Okay. 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 Sure. But that's that's Senate change that won't take effect ideally until January of next I year. Understand? Probably not in this political environment. So we will reach another likely stalemate in the Senate, or even conditions that are less favorable yep. to, to advocates like you. What can we do to work around it? What can so, so do right uniquely, now, uniquely the, right now within his power to change? the most immediate thing? Yeah. President Biden has appointed a permanent director of the ATF that we must get approved. Okay. okay. You, if you look at 90 or so percent of all firearms used in crimes, they come from about 5% of all the existing gun dealers. So a small minority of gun dealers are behind the majority of violent crime in this country. And yet we have not had a functional ATF director in about 10 years. Okay. You want to do something about that? Let's get him approved now. So and if anybody who's listening to this, you make sure your senator is going to vote for Dettelbach to be the permanent ATF director. That's number one. Which which no, Republicans will likely oppose? 
Um, there are, are I actually think there will be a few who will vote for him this okay. uh, uh, this time around. I'm hoping, and then, and then he's going to be a more aggressive sheriff. He'll he'll lock people up for breaking. You know what he'll do, Paul? What do you always hear the other folks say? We just need to um, focus on enforcing the existing laws. The problem is nobody did. Well, now somebody will. Okay. Okay. So that's number one, but that's still out of Biden's control. That's still got to go to the Senate. Number one. Number two, keep searching for more executive action. The executive action that he's already done, for example, banning imports of ammunition from Russia. Okay, where the bulk of ammunition that was flooding our streets was coming from. Okay, it it was it was something that caught Ted Cruz's attention. So he actually wrote something about this just weeks before the Ovalde pushing Biden to remove that ban. It ain't going to happen. So it's a big deal dealing with ghost guns, which really are becoming the weapon of choice for really bad people because it keeps them off the grid. And Biden has done that. But he ought to be looking for other executive actions that he can do, whether it's related to ammunition or capacity on ammunition or um, or any kind of potential uh, redefinition of weapons so that we can. For example, I'd love to see AR-15s treated like machine guns are in this country right now. So things like that, executive action, comprehensive executive action package. He sits in the Oval Office and says, here's a bunch of shit that my lawyers found we can do right now. Hopefully he signs something in the next couple of, of weeks, right? And then on the political side, knock out guys like Mike Lee in Utah and replace them with an independent like yep. Evan McMullen, right? In the meantime, Mitch McConnell's going to still be there. I'm thinking about, you know, I, the narrative seems to be changing, especially around the NRA. They had massive financial problems. You know, there is an increase in activism let, can we talk about the, the public perception and education piece? Yeah, yeah. Um, there's now a debate about whether or not to show graphic photos of the shootings. Yeah. I went through this in 2004 because people said, don't show the bodies of American soldiers. If you do, you're not patriotic. Right. There, there was even a, a protest against PBS listing their names daily. We've been through this before, yet through 20 years of war, you'd never see the body of a dead American. You wouldn't see it. You'd see other casualties. You see, but the American press would agree not to show that cost of war. And in my view, that is a dereliction of duty. It shields the public um, from understanding the ground truth. What is your view on that? You lost your daughter. Yeah, you have a personal um, view. And I also think, you know, if possible, this is what always happens. They ask you your personal view, but they don't ask you your policy view, which is which is different to some extent, right? Because if I were killed in Iraq serving in our military, I wouldn't have a choice, right? It would be up to the government whether or not they allow my casket to be shown or not. And we can't have every parent in America opt in or opt out. So it's a two-part question. I know it's a thorny one, but what's your personal and or you know uh, policy view, Fred? Listen, I'll, I'll answer it from both perspectives. Personally, I, I am not in favor of it. I don't believe The majority of Americans already support wanting to do something. The fact that you have a certain group in the Senate who simply won't listen to them won't be changed by this. I would never want publicly for the daughter, for the pictures of my daughter to be shown. Um, And so I, I don't think it will change the narrative. That's personal. 
Now I'm going to share something I've never shared with anybody else before. Because um, it gets to the policy piece. I did share them with Angus King and with um, uh, Joe Manchin prior to um, my pleading with them to vote the last time around when somebody was up to be a permanent director of the ATF um, and wanting them to put politics aside. And I wanted them to see my daughter and not just the photos. I wanted them to see the kids who were running over her body to escape. So there were photos of that too that I shared. So I've never shared that with anybody before, but I am sharing it here because it didn't change them. They are who they are. And so my impression is I'm more determined than ever to just make them irrelevant. Um, first off, thank you for sharing that with us. Um, and, and I know having been around enough military survivors that there is this other conversation, right? Like when, when the casualty officer comes or the police officer comes and you have belongings and, and the really tough part of this, that that part, I don't think people understand, Fred. I think one of the most powerful images is, is the customized coffins for these kids. Like that for me is like, um, you know, the dead Syrian refugee kid on the beach. That is a, an iconic image that may not move Mansion and King, but might move the movables, might move independence, right? That we talked to at, at, at a great length. In the same way, the kids after Parkland, I think, really made an impact. And I want to I want to build on that in a way, Fred, and ask you another question. In war, people only count the dead. They don't appreciate how many people come home wounded physically, mentally. Um, you lost Jamie. Jesse got out. Jesse mm-hmm. experienced that. Um, Jesse's 21 now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, can you talk about as much as you're comfortable and whatever is appropriate? Yeah. What, that side of this, because all, many of these families lost kids and many of these families have kids that are scarred, wounded for life. And that's a part of the, the, the human cost that I don't think the country is fully grasping. Can you talk I, about that, I, as you're comfortable sharing? No, I will. And, and I thank you for asking this question. I, I tried to raise this point a bit last week on the media. Gun violence isn't only about those who are shot and killed that we bury. It is about all the collateral damage of everyone else that was there and the families and the communities. I always talk about um, Jesse and, and because it's important for people to always remember. He heard the bullets that killed his sister, and I was on the phone with him when it happened. He was crying. Jesse was on the phone with me crying, Dad, I have to turn around to find Jamie. And I'm telling him, you can't, you have to keep running. I didn't want him running towards the bolts. I wanted him running away. But he saw himself as his protector of his sister. And I literally, it took everything I had for me to convince him to keep running. And as we're on the phone, he's like, there's more shots. Those were the ones on the third floor that killed Jamie. And he heard it loudly and clearly. To this day, Jesse has still got issues with the fact that I convinced him to run, that he didn't turn around, that it was her and not him. And 
you know, you can put any names you want on it. Survivor guilt, for sure, PTSD. My son had a lifelong dream of becoming a paramedic firefighter. It's not going to happen anymore because of concerns over things that he might see Mm -hmm. that could make this all real again. Um, And so his life is forever altered, forever. Not just what he's going to do with his life, but the loss of his sister, his baby sister, who he protected. That's that's what he saw his role. And, And so my wife and I, our life is forever altered. Um, he's now an only child and, and, um, so it changes our whole approach with him. Our people need to understand gun violence isn't only about those we bury. It is also about those who survived that we need to worry about for the rest of our lives and concern ourselves with because they will be forever impacted. Fred, we, we, um, we say on the show a lot, look for the helpers. And you wrote a book, right? Uh, find the Helpers. Find the Helpers, soon after you came on the show last time. Um, your voice is so powerful. And, and you know, we can relate in, in some ways because every time there was a military tragedy for like 15 years, they'd call me. I was the designated outrage guy on TV, <laughs> right? And then, and, then, and, and, and then I tried to offer solutions, which you do. And I tried to advocate for policy change, which you do. Um, I never went the next step, and I, and I wonder if you will. You've got Marco Rubio in the Senate. Um, you've got a terrible governor. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of people who would support you, Fred, and I don't know. I, mean, I know you're a loyal Democrat, um, but if you ran as an independent or a Democrat, you'd, you'd have my support. Um, do, you, do you ever feel like you need a bigger hammer? And an elected office might be the, the way to, to wield it. So I'll, I'll, I'll answer that by telling you um, what took place over the past year. As everyone knows, I consider Congressman Ted Deutsch a dear friend, and he is retiring from the House. Um, months before that became public, he spoke to me about it hoping that I would run for his seat. Um, and he tried for a while after I said no the first time to convince me to run for his seat. Um, and the answer was no, and it's going to stay that way. L- listen, I'll say this. Had I, this maybe happened 10, 15 years ago, maybe my perspective would be different. But I'm at a place in my life now where the idea of being political of moderating what I want to say, how I want to say it, who I want to tell off. If I want to use a four-letter word, if I want to tell somebody truly how I feel, all those things, I just don't care to moderate. I I am who I am. Um, And the need to fundraise and get along with as many people as possible because of the need to fundraise would make it impossible for me to run for anything. Oh, um, I think I think if you if you decided to run, the second part would go away. I don't think you'd have a hard time fundraising. The first part, none of that ever stopped Donald Trump. 
None of that ever stopped Ron DeSantis. And in your state especially, they love supporting people who use four-letter words, who don't give a shit what people think, and are unconventional politicians. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you a little bit and say, you know, I appreciate that. You don't want to do it. But this might be a moment where, where you were called upon because we need you. I'm going to start the draft. But Paul, let movement. me ask you a question. I'm, I'm, hold on. I'm going to start what? the draft Fred movement because we don't have <laughs> someone like you in the Senate. We don't have someone like you as a governor. And we need, in the same way, people are going to run and say, hey, I was a, everybody wants to say I was a veteran. Everybody wants to say I was a cop. Everybody wants to say I was a surgeon. We're very, I don't think, is, is there anybody, um, Carolyn McNally, right? Or was it from, from New York that had, that had McCarthy, McCarthy, McCarthy. sorry, yeah. who lost a family member to a, a shooting on a train, right? Yeah, yeah. Outside of that, has there ever been a shooting survivor? Lucy uh, McBath. I'll say thank you. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, but there's so, no, but we, we need a governor. We need, we need a Senator. We need someone who can tell these stories and who can fight for parents. So you don't have to agree with me on this one, Fred, but I'm going to start the draft Fred movement. But, but here's the thing, whether I get elected or not, the question is, where do I have, how can I have more impact? Yeah. And, and I'm not sure being one of a whole load of votes Give me more impact than coming in. Listen, any senator I want to talk to, I'm capable of doing it. Yeah. Any House member I want to talk to, I do it. I here's wanna, why, Fred. Here's I, why, Fred. I, I talk to the. I want to talk to I the know, president. Here, I can why, do it man. after this. Here's why. Here's why. If you're in the Senate, you got something to trade, right? You got your vote, and you and you will be in the spotlight on every issue. Like, I would love to hear Fred on Ukraine. I would love to hear Fred on inflation. I would love to hear Fred on the baby formula problems and gas prices. Because, you know, the challenge with an advocate like you and me and so many others is we got to wait for the news cycle, right? And then we're in the news nonstop for a week, and then we're gone for four weeks, right? And, And yes, we're still making calls. We're still beating down the door, but people have moved on to something else. So, I mean, I I don't know. I'm going to tell you that I think there's more of a case for you, especially because what a contrast you would be to Ron DeSantis. What a contrast you would be to Marco Rubio. And you fight. You know how to punch somebody in the face politically in the media. And I plan on doing that through the election. Trust me. Well, let me let me let me ask you a, a, a final question, Fred, other than when, you know, if you do declare, come back on my show to do it. Um, you are amazingly inspiring. And, you know, you're candid about how you're processing trauma. I had a great conversation last episode with Bonnie Carroll that I encourage folks to check out. Um, a lot of folks are feeling down. Yeah. A lot of folks have texted me in the last couple of weeks, especially parents. I mean, I've got a friend who is uh, a gay parent, veteran, sure. uh, female, who feels like everything is under attack, okay? And and there's a lot of folks who are like, you know what, I could live in Toronto for a little while and, or somewhere else, and it would be better for my family. How do you get through this? How do you, how do you keep yourself and your family? Um, through, how do you get through this, man? How do you do it? Because I do travel the country, and I do meet people everywhere I go. And what I realize is the majority of people in this country are good and decent and feel the way that I do. The fact that our politics has been upended by a minority isn't who America is. And and so here's, here's how I get through it. After Jamie was killed, 
I set out on a plan to, as I said back then, break the fucking gun lobby. To a large extent, we, we've been successful. And to make gun violence prevention a dominant voting issue. And we did. And if you look at 2018, we turned the House mainly on this issue. If you look at 20, okay, we elected a president, large, large part on this issue, other things too. The former guy helped. Um, and if you look at the Senate, we moved to 50-50 and we are, we've got the control. Bare, barely, but we got it. If I would have told you four years ago that we were going to do all those things, you would have told me I was crazy, that there's no chance this country could have that kind of a result, but we did. I look at this this way because I got to know Americans. All I need them to do is show up and vote. That's all I need them to do. And if we do it in November, we're going to be okay. If people show up, we still have the president, we can hold the House, and we can add seats in the Senate. I believe in the people of this country. Listen, Paul, we have done in this country a terrible job of voting for a lot of election cycles. And I don't mean we voted for the wrong people. Too many of us just didn't vote. And so we ended up with the wrong people. But in the last two election cycles, more people showed up. If we get presidential year turnout in this upcoming midterm, we're going to be okay. And it's a tall ask getting people to show up and vote. So anyone who listens to this, here is my ask of you. Don't wait till election day to figure it out. Start working on your voting plan now. Make sure your registration is set now. Make sure any ID requirements you have figured out now so that when the time comes to vote, you're not scrambling. It's actually going to be easy. But start now. And move to Florida and vote for Fred as a write-in candidate in every election that you can. I'm not letting this one go, man, because I do see a future where there's like, I mean, it's tragic, but, you know, there's an Iraq and Afghanistan veterans caucus now. Right? No, that man, listen, be, one of these days, be, I'm looking for the day where I can show up at Sunday morning car shows with you, with our old cars and yeah. hang out. Um, We're going to do that, too. But, you know, there could be a day where you and like Daniel Hogue, and David Hogue and, and Shannon Watts and all these folks are like actually elected and you have a caucus, a voting block. That would be impressive. So I'm going to hold out hope for that, even as an independent. I, I stand with the activists and I will definitely take you up on the car show. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to ask you to stick around for two minutes and do some quick fire questions for our Patreon members who help keep this going. But thank you, man. For, thank you. For every, every time you tell this story, it's painful for you and it's a sacrifice. And in my view, leadership is about sacrifice and you continue to sacrifice on behalf of all of us and on behalf of our kids and on behalf of your kids and you're a fucking inspiration, man. And I love you and I appreciate you and, and we'll do anything we can to support you and your family and, and the movement. I appreciate you, my friend. Stay vigilant, my friend. You count on it. What do you say, people? Want to join me in the Draft Fred movement? I think it's popular and growing because Fred Gutenberg is fighting for all of us. Don't leave him at that door alone. Help him. Help a helper. Share this conversation. 
You can do that easily. It's free. It only takes a minute. Share this conversation with Fred far and wide. Get his book, Find the Helpers. It's got important information, and it's also got inspiration. And check out his charity, orangeribbonsforjamie.org. It's orangeribbonsforjamie.org. Orange Ribbons for Jamie is a 501c3 foundation that supports causes that were important to Jamie in her life, but also causes that will deal with the way her life was tragically cut short. They make donations in the world of performing arts, organizations that deal with bullying, as well as supporting children with special needs. Jamie was a helper. Her brother, Jesse, is a helper. And Fred, their dad, is the epitome of a helper. Always look for the helpers. There will always be helpers, you know, even just on the sidelines. Because if you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. Helpers are out there, especially right now. When others are running away, they are running in. Every single tragic shooting, we see that the helpers made them less tragic. So check out the hashtag, look for the helpers on Twitter and share yours with me. And I'll continue to share those stories far and wide. And while you're on social, you can play guest to guest every Wednesday night. Many of you are already playing. Some of you are dominating Delfino Sanchez down in Texas as well, in the Houston side of Texas. He is, again, correctly guessed our guest the guest. He guessed Fred Gutenberg. He somehow finds the photo. I'm not entirely sure at this point that Delfino is not a, a Russian bot or some kind of complicated AI algorithm, but every single week he gets it. So shout out to Delfino Sanchez. Also, the real deal, Dave Petri. He also got it right. He said, I know I'm angry, but I'm certain your next guest, Fred Gutenberg, is even angrier. We may look for the helpers, but Fred knows how to find the helpers. Thanks, Dave, for playing and for all the support. And also, our buddy ZEIEG 477, 82nd Airborne Infantry OIF vet and high school history teacher. You know he got it. He guessed Fred Gutenberg. But you can join us every week on social media. Play Guess the Guest on Wednesday night. And if you guess correctly, I will give you some love. I will share it far and wide, and you will help us continue to grow this show. We've got a lot of great guests coming up, and if you want to suggest a guest, by all means, reach out on social and let me know, or go to independentamericans.us. You can see all of our previous episodes. You can see the other two times that Fred joined us, and you can also see video of my conversation with Fred there and all our recent conversations. If you got a friend or a family member that's not into podcasts, send them on over to our YouTube page. Tell them to watch the video or listen to the video. It's all free. You can also hear or watch all our recent episodes on Ukraine. The war is still going on there, and we will continue to keep up the focus. And you can support this show and support this content by joining our Patreon community. Shout out to all of our Patreon members. You can find out more at independentamericans.us. Every little bit counts, and you help us keep these important conversations coming. Righteous is going to keep bringing you the five eyes and all our podcasts and everything we do all summer long. Summer is finally here, and we're going to keep bringing it. Independence, integrity, information, inspiration, and impact. Powered by the mighty Righteous Media team, creative Chris Rosenthal, brilliant Bill Schultz, precise Paul Hernandez, and my amazing wife and two boys. Only two weeks of school left. We had an amazing Memorial Day where we experienced Fleet Week in New York City. Fleet Week was back and I took my kids to see the USS Bataan, 
So shout out to all the crew of the Bataan that, that hosted us. We got to see uh, all the aircraft. We got to go on the ship. We got to meet a sailor dressed up like a turtle. It was actually an amazing experience for our boys. And a big shout out to all the sailors and Marines that hosted us on the Bataan this weekend and everybody who made Fleet Week in New York City a tremendous success. If you've never been, Add it to your bucket list. Come to New York for Fleet Week and spend the weekend and stay for Memorial Day. Maybe go down to D.C. and hit up Arlington. But it's a very, very special experience. And my boys and my wife and I got to experience it again this weekend. For the first time, Fleet Week was back after the pandemic, and it was incredible. Fleet Week is one of those times where you see tremendous unity. And America is divided. But we can be united. And we at Independent Americans and Righteous Media are working to do that, to add light, to contrast the heat of all the other political shows and cable news chatter. If you want an alternative to the cable news, if you want an alternative to Joe Rogan, if you want an alternative to all the other yapping, come on over here and check us out. And if you're among the 42% of Americans that are independent, this is your show. We invite you to join us and be a part of the solution. And check out all our Righteous Media podcasts. They continue to crank out important content, including the Firefighters with Rob Sarah. Our friend Rob Sarah has a great new episode coming on Friday with Anthony Greco of the New York Rangers. Hockey is here. The Rangers are winning. We're down to the Final Four. And Rob's Rangers are taking on the Tampa Bay Lightning. And he is talking to Anthony Greco. If you don't know, Greco is an incredibly inspiring story. His mother is a retired nurse, and his father served as a member of the New York City Fire Department and suffered from illnesses and conditions related to his service after the 9-11 attacks. Greco grew up as a fan of the New York Rangers, and this year he became one. And he's going to talk to Rob. Check out the brand new episode. And check out the most recent episode of B-Dorm. Jericho Turner and Don Elevert get into all of the recent drama and all of the recent controversy and the recent shootings. If you want a show that's not afraid to talk about race, if you want a show that's not afraid to talk about the hard topics and keep it fun and real, check out B-Dorm. You can get them both anywhere you get this pod or go to Righteous.us. Subscribe for free and share them. Those shows continue to grow and together we're going to keep sharing the hope. Because hope is the oxygen of democracy. And right now, we need hope. This summer, maybe more than ever. But June is here. Summer is here. And pride is here. June is Pride Month. So happy Pride, everyone. It is a time of reflection learning, celebration, unity, and work. Because there has been tremendous progress for LGBTQ people in America, but there is much more progress that needs to be made. And it's a time to reflect for all of us, and it's a time to be inspired. My friend Lindsay Church is the brave executive director of Minority Vets of America, and they tweeted something powerful this week. Lindsay tweeted, While the first pride was a riot, every pride since is an act of public disobedience in the name of love and authenticity. It's incumbent upon all of us to continue this fight, to march, protest, yell, and scream as though our community's lives depend on it, because they do. Pride was born in a riot of love. 
roots in a riot, born in a riot of love. It's a reminder of all that we've come from and all we have to fight for. And MVA actually has t-shirts that say it, and I love them. It says, pride was born in a riot of love. I'll link to it in my show notes. You should check it out and get yours. Pride was a movement that just a few decades ago never could have imagined how far we'd come. And the same can be true of gun violence. If we're as tough and brave and organized as the pride movement has been. I've been humbled and inspired to know and work alongside and interview on this show powerful advocates and activists from all backgrounds and all generations who've driven historic progress. But there is a long way to go, and the fight continues. Minority Vets of America is one leader out there that's very much worthy of your support. So check them out, minoritivets.org, share and get involved. Pride is a time of celebration, and it's a time of action, and it's a time for us all to be filled with pride and filled with the fight. So stay vigilant, my friend, because eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. And no, you're not alone in your vigilance. We're all vigilant, especially right now. And we are all in this together. All across America, especially in Texas right now, but also in Tulsa and in Pittston, Pennsylvania and in Los Angeles, California, and likely in a new place or two or three tomorrow. And also still in Ukraine and still in Afghanistan and all around the world, we are in this together. From the family of Ellie Garcia to Secretary Jay Johnson, from war to Lady Gaga, from LGBTQ rights activists like Marsha P. Johnson, Sylvia Rivera, and Christine Jorgensen, to Lindsay Church, to Fred Gutenberg, to you. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being involved. And thank you for keeping up the fight. Down with Putin. Slava Ukraine. And happy pride. Stay vigilant, America. Righteous Media.